Hello strangers and welcome to episode 33 of Strangers in a Cinema with myself Paul Anderson and my co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you? Alright, I'm here. Uh, we're doing this thing. Yeah, episode 33's arrived. Excited about that. Lots to get through. Um, but first of all, Paul, I mean, we should probably give mention at the start of the show to what occurred at the end of last weekend, just after we recorded the show, which was well, the... Well, there was two two big events in film last week. There was obviously our podcast. That was huge. Which was the, the big event. And then the Oscars, I think, was, was uh, yeah. just afterwards. You could see it sort of a bit about an aftershock, but... really, the Oscars ceremony yeah. to our actual <laughs> seismic eruption of the podcast. But... Uh, yeah, the Oscars, the 89th Oscars happened last Sunday after we'd recorded and I think we caught up with it the day after because it obviously comes out uh, late in the middle of the night over here. Um, and it, well, it all went off relatively well. There was the weird part where they brought in the Hollywood tour group and they got all in the faces of celebrities for a little while. Yeah. That was a bit odd. But then we had this massive kerfuffle at the end when it came to Best Picture and as you're all aware now, this played out where uh, La La Land was given the award took acceptance of it, made speeches, uh, gushed for a little while and then were sort of ushered off stage because in fact they had not won. Uh, yeah, what did you make of all that stuff? Man? Well, I'm I'm, ha I'm actually happy that Moonlight won um, and I yeah. think we, we did say we probably wouldn't talk about it unless something interesting happened um, and I think it is quite interesting that Moonlight won. I have gone on record saying I thought La La Land would clear up and I did quite like La La Land but I think it's as much look, 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 mistakes happen, um, and it clearly is. I think it's clearly human error as the accountancy firm threw their employees under the bus for making the mistake. Kind of sad, I, I suppose. It's in a little way, it's sad for the for the team behind Moonlight. They couldn't, you know, just go up and it and do the acceptance speech. Yeah, it did take but, the shine off just a little bit, didn't it? When they had to sort of go up and, and almost feel uh, guilty, even though they'd done nothing wrong, for the fact that they were coming in and taking the place of, of those guys who'd been taking you know acceptance of the award just a couple of minutes before is weird but it seems to me man that like they should just organize this thing better so we don't have a system where there are two envelopes of the you know giving the same award either side of the stage which seems to be the problem with this thing right yeah it just seems just seems like a badly you know a bad situation that really it's a mistake that shouldn't have been allowed to happen to be honest um, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's just human error. I think the right film won. I don't know where you stand on that. Just... Yeah, well, when we did the preview last week on, on episode 32, um, I said that I hoped, and I think you agreed with me I was me torn on between Arrival and Moonlight. Oh, that's but... right, yeah. Um, so, so we were fairly strong on Moonlight being worthy of picking up the Best Picture Oscar, and it did. So, great. Uh, Casey Affleck, who I'd said, <laughs> with, with no right whatsoever, because I still haven't seen the film, <laughs> I said would, would probably take the Best act Actor Award he did I think uh, well deserved I think you know I, I don't go I still think I still maintain the films perhaps slightly overrated but that awaits a second viewing yeah but Casey Affleck is superb in it so yeah uh, well and talking of which I, I went for Emma Stone to win best actress and she did what was your pick on best actress Natalie Portman for, right for okay. my favorite film of the year which I don't think got anywhere near enough love Jackie so yeah Jackie was but, relatively overlooked I think in the final equation but you know, it's the Oscars, you get what you're given, but it was a very strange set of events that happened at the end of that thing. A really weird way to sort of see off the the awards season, I suppose. 
and it's going to take a lot of recovery. I mean, whatever they do next year, it's going to have to be organised in a completely different way, I think, in order I to I would have thought so, yeah. I mean, I can't, like, you know, the, the chances of the mistake happening once are probably fairly slim, in, in fairness to them. But, yeah, I think hopefully they'll well, look at the process. Isn't it something to do with the Price Waterhouse Coopers guy having selfies taken with famous people? That I think that might be, yeah. I, but, Who you know, knows? I'm not being funny. The guys are accountants. And then, appara- and then there's something came out that they were apparently nervous to go on stage. Well, of course they'd be nervous to go on stage. They're accountants. They're not, you know, they don't live their life on stage. They yeah. obviously realise they've made a terrible mistake, so they are going to be nervous. So, guys, you have my sympathy. Accountants should be more worried about Oscars. Bot- maybe put maybe put a different system in place to stop that happening, rather than just rolling out these guys and making them scapegoats for it. So, yeah. And as accountants, they should probably worry more about the bottom line, and that on these cards would be who actually won the award. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, yeah, have a thing. So yeah, I think that, that's about that's probably about it from from Oscars. To be honest, as I can imagine, you know, anyone into film has you know has read everything you probably won't ever want to read about this year's Oscars. To be perfectly honest, um, if you haven't seen Moonlight, catch up. Oh, Moonlight, and well let's, done. To let's it. not duck out of this section, Paul, without saying that the uh, the film Suicide Squad is now an Oscar winning film, <laughs> which is a very yeah, that's weird a good time to duck out of the section. Up, but yes, from that thing, yeah. But anyway, it, we're not an Oscars show. Uh, we're going to get on with our normal running order, as you know. It goes uh, popcorn movies. We talk about some films that we've seen recently. Then we get into the cinema section, or I guess screening room section of film, uh, the film of the show, in which we will do previews or coming attractions of films that are coming up in the next few weeks. Then we'll do a couple of features this week. Paul, what have we got for We've features? We've got uh, Logan this week, James Mangold's. Um, Very stabby. James Mangold's, I would assume James Mangold's swan song, certainly apparently Hugh Jackman's swan song as Wolverine. Yeah. Um, blockbuster season seems to have started early this year. Pat- Patrick Stewart's um, also bowing out, by the way, on that one. Yes, Patrick we'll, Stewart's we'll get, also we'll get to um, that. So we've got Logan, and then the um, then the German absurdist comedy Tony Erdmann, which we were yeah. very happy we got a chance to see. Ha- so harking back for a second to the Oscars, that was of course the German um, entry for best foreign language film, and it did not win. But it is worth our attention, and we will tell you why when we get to the feature section. Rolling out of that, we'll get to the credit section. We'll talk about something that th- we think is worth credit this week. And uh, just round off the show at the end and give you contact details so you can get in touch with us and tell us what you thought of the show and what you thought was good and or bad, I guess. Uh, Paul, kick us off. What have we got in your case for a popcorn movie to start this week's episode of the show? Well, I caught up with a film called Trumbo, uh, which has got Brian Cranston in playing the blacklisted screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, uh, directed by Jay Roach. I really don't know why I haven't seen this film earlier, and I felt quite bad that I didn't. I didn't actually get to it when it was in the cinema. Um, so yeah, just just to set you up, so Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad fame, Heisenberg of course, Heisenberg yeah. from from Breaking Bad, yes, plays Dalton Trumbo, um, who was a well the highest paid screenwriter in Hollywood at the time. Uh, during the kind of 50s and 60s with the McCarthy witch hunts and kind of the the paranoia about communism in the US Um, and basically about how he was blacklisted because of his links to communism which were assumed to be links to Russia even though he was just you know a communist and had nothing to do with Russia and about how uh, Dalton Trumbo starts working with a number of other screenwriters under aliases uh, works for perhaps lower budget film studios writes some other films the whole thing culminates in him in actually winning an Oscar for a film uh, under an alias mm-hmm. uh, and that he obviously can't collect um, and just about how how ridiculous that situation is to be honest and about how the whole thing's a farce and it's it's a fascinating story to be perfectly honest that I did I was aware of the McCarthy witch hunts I quite liked um, Good Night and Good Luck George Clooney's film on the subject yeah I still haven't caught up with it um, which is a really interest, interesting thing and it's an, it's an interesting period in, in Hollywood's history where 
sort of Hollywood were blamed for everything and kind of I think kind of almost almost sets the scene now for where we are with kind of Hollywood versus Trump and that kind of the situation we're in at the moment but not to labour on that point but yeah it's, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating study of that and I think Cranston does a good job in the role and it's a real eye-opener eye to just to just to see what Dalton Trumbo actually wrote. I mean, he went on to write Spartacus because Kirk Douglas refused, refu ignored the blacklist and then actually produced Spartacus. I didn't realise this. Mm. Uh, and then went on to hire Dalton Trumbo to write it and Trumbo ended up getting a writing credit for it. So I think for anyone with an interest in, in the history of film and certainly the history of Hollywood, it's it's very much worth a watch. And, and of course, you mentioned Brian Cranston's in this. Mm. One thing, I suppose, when you've had a role as big as Walter White slash Heisenberg in Breaking Bad that, you know, was such a zeitgeist capturing yes. TV show. Did you go into this and manage to believe him as Dalton Trumbo? Or did you have in the back of your mind that this is Heisenberg or indeed the dad from um, Malcolm in the Movie? <laughs> yes. You know, do, uh, do, you, no, I thought, do you take him as the character no, I think, on Facebook? I, I think he was. I think he was great. And they said, I, I don't know much about the character. I'm sure there are people out there who've seen this film who know a lot more about Dalton Trumbo than I do. Um, in fact, I would say that there is certainly people out there who know a lot more about Dalton Trumbo than I do. Um, but no, I think I think it's a, I think it's a good performance. There's some stock footage at the end which shows you the actual Dalton Trumbo, and if you kind of look up footage of him and that kind of thing, I think he captures the role well. You don't ever feel like you're watching Heisenberg, for example. Mm. Um, I think the film probably is possibly a little bit lightweight in places um, when it, when it could have been a bit more hard hitting, but that doesn't stop it being fascinating I think Good Night and Good Luck is probably a better film about the subject matter mm. but that doesn't take too much away from Trumbo and there's great support from John Goodman for example who is a, is a studio chief who hires him and doesn't care about the McCarthy witch hunts and is just making basically kind of low rent sort of horror films and that kind of thing so um, I'd say it's for any yeah, for anyone that passed an interest in Hollywood history, it's now an essential viewing. So Trumbo on wide release through sort of DVD and Blu-ray at this point, I would imagine. Oh uh, yeah, I, 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 it was a Christmas present on Blu-ray, so it's wide, yeah, yeah Trumbo is widely available. Yeah, it's been a little yeah. while since the cinematic yeah. release, so it'll be available. Cool. Um, yeah, I'll catch up with that for sure. I've got as my first choice this week, Paul. Uh, I'm very ashamed to say that I'd never seen before uh, John Carpenter's 1988 uh, cult classic. I guess they live. I'd seen on Letterboxd that you'd watched this, and I thought. That could be the first time he's watching it. And do you know yeah. what? I'll let you carry on in a moment. But I kind of, in a way, I was like, I'm kind of jealous that that's his first time watching it. Because I remember the first time I watched They Live. But I won't, that's not about what I thought. It's about what you thought. So, yes. So, this one is one of those films that even if you haven't seen it like I hadn't before, sort of a, a few days ago, a week ago, um, it's probably in the side of your consciousness somewhere if you're into films because you've probably seen or heard some of the lines or motifs from this thing you know around the place the, the line I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass but I'm all out of bubble gum stolen by Duke Nukem yeah uh, is, is a line I already knew before I saw the film and I, you know had never encountered it in its proper place this film has uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper of wrestling fame <laughs> in the central role taking on a sort of like Kurt, yeah, he Doug, uh, Kurt, he Kurt Russell position year, in fact. I think he did pass away last year I think that's it? true because yeah. Ronda Rousey paid tribute to him yeah. because that's where she got her nickname from but um, yeah you've got Roddy Piper here yeah it's sort of like a, a low rent Kurt Russell I guess in this movie I'd say that's fair yeah and yeah. then uh, alongside him you've got Keith David that we know from things like Requiem for a Dream like later day latter day uh, Keith David who's an actor who's been in all number of things as a, as a character actor and um, the the basic setup is that the lead character played by Rowdy Roddy Piper <laughs> is, is a character called Nada uh, he's a down-on-his-luck construction worker and he discovers a pair of sunglasses that have this uh, amazing ability to allow him to see 
the reality that lies behind the artifice of the modern world. Now, the modern world in the film they live is 1988 uh, America. And when he puts on the sunglasses, he can see that all around him is media that is telling people just to shut up and buy things and conform and live in a certain way. Now, what struck me about this film, Paul, because there's not too much I can say plot wise, because I think it's a very high concept movie. I mean, that's what it is. It's right? a very high concept A guy movie. puts on a pair of sunglasses and sees the reality of all the horrible evil you people. You haven't around even him. finished on the concept yet, but go on. Right. But what I do want to say about this thing is like, it's from 1988. I haven't seen it until now. But it seemed very prescient at this point in history to watch They Live for the first time. Because here we've got a thing where mass media is sort of lying to the populace. Somebody's seeing through that and then is being beaten down by the powers around him in silence. I mean, this seems like something startlingly relevant. But a lot of all the best sci-fi. And I think it's easy to dismiss They Live as, as kind of a... a kind of like a, a trashy sort of low rent sci-fi movie which in some ways it is and that's part of its appeal but but any kind any good sci-fi seems to predict you know where where we go as a society mm. and i think it was prob- probably as prescient then as it is now well yeah it predicts and also it comes at a point in sort of free market capitalist 1980s where the idea that people should just make their own money and you know step on the throats of the people around them was pretty um, popularized at that time both yeah. here and, and in the united states and this is the era let's remember in, in which like brett easton ellis came up um and you know things things like his yeah. early work were were um making comment and satirizing that situation at, at that time so yeah and I didn't mean to you know I don't mean to to make it sound like you know Roddy Piper is not the best actor in the world some of this stuff is quite wooden some of it doesn't quite work but at the same time when you've got this John Carpenter score you've got this great central conceit you've got this fully realized world all around that central character and you've got Keith David as a sort of supporting actor and I still actor. believe and correct me if I'm wrong it is still the longest fight scene in Hollywood history over when they fight over the sunglasses which I don't know if you remember this is a bit of trivia for you yeah do you remember the fast show when they had the guys doing the long big punch up in the fast show yes that apparently was lampooning so I love the word lampoon so I've said it there was lampooning uh, they live and that long the long fight scene in they live but right yeah and that and that fight scene's like sort of so it's one thing about they live I think that John Carpenter sort of um plays to his own tune because it's so low stakes the fight scene like now we're used to these massive high stakes gunfights yeah. <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff but in this thing it's like two friends disagreeing about whether a guy should try on some glasses <laughs> so yeah it's so much to recommend this man it was it was an absolute pleasure to catch up with it i do feel bad that it's taken me this long but glad i've seen it now uh great quotable lines uh a passable certainly passable and fairly cult central performance from rowdy roddy piper that's they live from 1988 paul what have you got uh, I've got um, Adam Smith's uh, feature debut, which is Trespass Against Us. Um, now, this is this kind of close to our hearts, I suppose, because it is set in, in, in certain scenes are set in, in Cheltenham, and it is based on a, a local family from Cheltenham who did do, spend some jail time for committing the burglaries. Alleg- allegedly, I suppose. Allegedly, it, yeah. It's, um, it's based, or loosely based, on a family or a couple of families from around this area. But it is funny, Paul, isn't it? Because this one cinematically released at least in the UK right right now yeah um would you have imagined you know, even a week ago that we'd be talking on this show about a film in which we are better placed than most people 
to make comment about the authenticity of the material. Like this rarely happens. Like we're often talking about things set in, you know, New York or California yeah. or, <laughs> or, you know, wherever it might be, France. I mean, who knows? Japan. But in this case, we're talking about something set mere, you know, couple of miles away from where we actually live. So, I mean, set it up. What, what The situation is a family drama, Michael Fassbender and Brendan Gleeson uh, in a, some yeah, so you have the... like a you have like a father and son and like a, basically a, a traveller family, um, and the father and son basically. Fassbender kind of plays, I suppose, is supposed to be kind of be a character beaten down by his father, um, and they commit essentially commit a burglary, um, and they they burgle some really highfalutin um, sort of English aristocrat. Yeah, it's house. sort of a, a stately home in the Cotswolds. Um, right? And then the police come down on like a ton of bricks, essentially, and Michael Fassbender's character seems to want to escape this life with his children, although I, does he? Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then, so it's about him trying to escape his father, really, and trying to, it, does he evade the police or doesn't he? I think it's probably the Yeah, I mean, the, the idea, whether like you, like you hinted at, whether it works or not is a matter for sort of personal opinion discussion, but the idea is that he's torn between care for his wife and kids. His wife clearly wants to be on the out and away from the, the travelling group that they're with, including his father, Brendan Gleeson, and at the same time, his loyalty to that community and his loyalty to his father and kind of his fear of his father, who essentially rules him with a, an iron hand for the most part. Um, yes, and then we have a string of crimes, the biggest one of which is this stately home robbery. Yeah. Um, the themes here, I think, if we get into a, a couple of little problems with this film, maybe, the themes here, I think, are a little bit thinly sketched. I think there are some good ideas and there is an attempt to tie those ideas together. I'm not sure that it is entirely effective at doing so. Uh, do you do you agree on? I that? don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a terribly made film. Um, I think it's. You know, I think it's fairly well constructed. My biggest problem with it is I don't care about any of the the lead characters. There's not. There's nothing that makes me sympathise with the people that I see on screen. Mm. So you're supposed to believe that that Fassbender's character is browbeaten by his father. He makes little or no effort to avoid actually doing the burglary, which lands him in trouble. Um, he appears in the he appears in the village school where his children go, and you're almost supposed to feel sorry for his character because his kids are, are skipping school and acting up, and then get expelled. And he, he seems at no point to show any remorse for his actions. And for me, I came out of it going, I can't relate to these characters, and ultimately, I can't relate to this film because the you know, the characters as they're seen on screen are so, they're just assholes, and I couldn't I had no empathy with any of them. This is where yeah, it, it's it's such a I'm so ambivalent about this film, Paul, because. Um, I think that, yes, coming out of it, I felt like sort of, apart, set aside the filmmaking, which is another thing, the the most damning thing that you could say about a film that depicts the travelling community or people on the fringes of society is that it doesn't give you proper insight into those characters and a reason to care about them as humans. So I think you touched on something interesting because... And it doesn't. It, there's it, no reason and, to and care And for the about most part, it doesn't. Now, to a certain degree, you can allow that because you think that you know, he's not a particularly articulate character because you wouldn't imagine that he would be. It would be inauthentic if he was more articulate. Generationally, this is not an articulate family. But at the same time, when his signs of sort of care and protectiveness and support for his family are so um, dwarfed in the film by the sequences of crime and subservience to a father figure and so on, like you said, it is quite hard to feel proper sympathy and I think it's on the director and the filmmakers here to give us the insight to relate to these people as human beings because lest we forget 
these people are human beings and I hear a lot of not only about this film but about anything surrounding people not only from traveling communities but people at the lower echelons of, of society in terms of income and social status a lot of dismissive and quite hateful stuff which assumes that somebody who is struggling is necessarily unintelligent and unimportant yeah. and not trying and sort of lazy and a down and out and all this kind of stuff I'm not sure that the film does enough to dispel that idea. I think it intends to. I think it intends to make you feel sympathetic to the people, but it massively fails at that. Yeah, and, and one more thing before we move on from this, Paul, I wanted to get to you with you because you know about this. You've been a Cheltenham resident for how many years now? Quite a what? Quite a, a few. Number. A yeah, few. a number. And you know, I've lived here on and off since I was six years old, something like that, eight years old. Um, the, the the voice work in this film because. We, um, again, pretty well placed to know how these characters should sound, particularly the Fassbender character should sound. They're supposed to have lived and breathed the Gloucestershire air for their entire <laughs> lives. Um, early on, I think it's quite shaky. The accent veers a lot, both in Brendan Gleeson's case and Michael Fassbender's, towards Irish, sometimes further north, sometimes further south. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think it's... Uh, for me, it wasn't one of Fassbender's standout performances by, by a long stretch. I think I felt he was trying too hard to maintain the accent with mixed success more mm. than he was actually trying to act but yeah I, yeah I mean he commits but I think I enjoy him more in something like um, Eden Lake where he's playing a or long fish tank or right he, kind of but thing, he's yeah. playing in, in Eden Lake he's playing alongside characters yeah. who are from a particular environment yeah. and a particular regional you're speaking a particular regional dialect but he's not that in this thing also you have inconsistencies in the dialect because you've got sections where we're shoehorning in particular buzzwords that these characters would use which we all recognize if you live around the, this area you know those words that vocabulary but then on the other hand you've got things like him saying i'm not where that character would say yeah i ain't if you've yeah. spent any time here you know that they would not <laughs> say i'm not in this situation so that kind of stuff you know this might be unique to you and i and people from around here it takes you out of it a little bit so i think in the end what you're left with is sort of a, a, a workable drama that in the end packs much less of a punch and is much less perhaps sympathetic yeah i think i, I, you, I, I wanted to like it i went in expecting to like it and it came away disappointed uh because it, and it the, just you can't engage with the characters right and the, and the final so the final shot is also it's dreadful odd Dread, very very odd. dreadfully cheesy, but yeah, yeah there's there's things to like but i wouldn't rush out to see it at the cinema no i think Agreed. we agree on that uh and what was your uh have you done all your popcorn movies now? Have you got no, one I've got actually uh, one we got more. So, we got so into that that we, we forgot where we were. <laughs> Engaged. Yeah, one more that I've been meaning to catch up with since actually around the last Oscar season in 2016, which is the film 45 Years. 45 Years stars uh, Tom Courtney and Charlotte Rampling. I wanted to get to Charlotte Rampling, really, because Charlotte Rampling is, I would say, one of my favourite all-time actresses. And it's a very simple setup, 45 years. Um, the idea is that there is a couple, played by those two actors previously mentioned, who live in um, Norwich in the southeast of England. And they are having breakfast one morning where whilst the husband is reading a letter, he's received a letter, um, and his wife asks him where the letter has come from. It's come from the authority, some kind of authority, who says that they have found her body captures body I remember um, this film now I, I, when you said what you were going to talk about on the podcast I'd completely the, the title didn't didn't relate to me but yes 
Yeah, so Katya, uh, it turns out, was his sort of first true love, uh, Tom Courtney, Tom Courtney's character's first true love. And it's clear as we progress from this moment that he holds a very large and brightly burning candle for this long deceased um, woman, young woman, that he was with as a, a much, much younger man. Now, the title comes from the fact that the, the pair have been married for 45 years. They're about to do a big celebration for their 45th anniversary because they couldn't do the 40th one because Tom Courtney's character was ill at the time. And so they're going to gather all these friends together to celebrate their relationship. But in uh, the, the sort of most literal and uh, very figurative sense, cracks have brought about problems in their relationship. It turns out that, and it's a, a quite adept, uh, at first sight it might be a bit heavy handed, but quite adept bit of screenwriting, I think that the girl in question, Katya, fell through a fissure in the rock, oh, and okay. then the bedrock of their relationship has crack a crack form. in right. it. Yeah. I, get it. I think I get it. <laughs> um, now, the, a bit like we might, come on to or a lot of people have been talking about in terms of um uh, Isabelle Huppert in L I think a lot of the stuff to recommend this film on is uh, Charlotte Rampling because this is exactly as you would expect if you've seen her other work but an unbelievable performance that charts a character going through these stages of sort of real like insecurity and uh, longing and grief and regret and self-doubt because essentially her entire adult life has been devoted to someone that she now realises may have taken her as a second choice. Ouch. <laughs> There's a sequence in the film that is probably going to be one of my most memorable of, of anything I see this year in which she's in the attic and she's found the stash of sort of memorabilia that he's kept from this previous relationship all these decades, all these years. And she's watching a slideshow of photographs taken between her now husband and his ex-partner in which every time a slide comes onto the screen, her face is illuminated and then the room goes dark. And then the next slide illuminates her face and then the room goes dark. And every time we like you're scanning Charlotte Rampling's face to see how it's changing as each photo sort of hits her and sinks into her her being. So, yeah, if you like Charlotte Rampling already, if you don't know who she is or what I'm talking about and are just interested in sort of gripping human drama, I yeah really can't recommend it enough. I think 45 years is a, a huge triumph. The, the director, by the way, is uh, Andrew Haig. Um, for those interested and yeah tom courtney and charlotte rampling are the stars of this thing um yeah big recommend from me get get involved it's it, on netflix now there's a lot of things that i come up with are cool i'll check it out um which brings us ni nicely then to coming attractions pete so we're in the cinema now the trailers are rolling um i'll i'll break out mine because i'm very excited about this I'm, I'm not gonna lie yeah go ahead um, is, is it within the what did we set last time 13 days is it within 13 days of the recording Yes, I think it is. The okay. unlimited screening that I'm going to see is. So, I want to talk about Free Fire. Now, I'm going to keep this brief. Uh, mm. The reason I'm excited about Free Fire is because it's directed, directed by Ben Wheatley. Right. Uh, high right. So, High Rise was the last thing. High Rise, which was, one of my yeah. film, which was one of my films of the year last year, and I'm a huge, huge fan of Ben Wheatley. Um, it's a 70s, I think, action cop thriller mm. um, that stars, um, and help me out here on this one, Brie Larson. Yeah. Um, Charlotte Copley. Yeah. 
Um, who am I missing? Uh, that's, that's as far as I've got. That's, that's well, good preparation work. We'll there. keep talking. Yeah, I mean, Ben Wheatley, of course, we're incredibly excited because Ben Wheatley is the guy who brought us uh, Kill List also in uh, a field in England and um, really established a, a niche, a groove within British filmmaking as a director with a real punch to the stuff that he does. So to see the trailer of Free Fire is exciting and the poster, incredible. I mean, there's a lot to recommend this for. Killian Murphy, Michael Smiley. Um, a lot of moustaches. There's think, a lot of moustaches in this. Um, Michael Smiley um, famously played. Uh, is it Tess Tires from Space? Isn't it all those years? That's ago. right. He's in Kill List. As yes, well, and yeah. he's also in Kill List. And so, terrifying yeah. in Kill List. So yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about a British action film directed by Ben Wheatley, and also incidentally executive produced. Now I don't know whether this actually means anything in this day and age, but executive produced by Martin Scorsese, mm. um, who obviously made another one of our films of the year, Silence. Silence. But, the, but Silence, and There's I will not, Silence for me now. Uh, what is your coming attraction, Pete? Well, I was going to say, it's not going to be a great deal of silence in Free Fire, by no. judging by that, that trailer <laughs> that we've seen. Uh, my choice for coming attraction, again, is out in the next couple of weeks, at least in the UK. Um, in America, if you're there, it's come out already. That is Get Out, which is the... I don't know why I've said it like that. Get Out. Get Out, like get, a robot on a podcast. Get, get Out or Get Out? Uh, get Out. Is, I believe, Get out of my pub. I believe like, the directorial <laughs> debut of one uh, Jordan Peele that we, uh, on this podcast, know from Key and Peele. Who, we love Key and Peele, don't yeah, we? That's Comedy Sense yeah. Central sketch show that is all over YouTube, so if you haven't seen it, get on that. Um, yes. Continental Breakfast was, was, would be a good starting point. And, and all sorts of other sketches, yeah. But this is uh, Jordan Peele's film, Get Out. It's essentially a horror film about a girl who takes her black boyfriend to her hometown I think I think so yeah um, and he soon gets the idea that something fishy is going on and it might be along racial lines the community seems against him and seems to be pushing him away from, from where he is or at least putting and him away I think all the other black people in the community seem to be kind of innocuously and creepily happy with things if I yeah. remember rightly from the trailer yeah so, kind of Stepford yeah. wives feeling so I think it, it's certainly it's certainly played with, with a tongue firmly in its cheek I think but yeah and in, in this uh, an actor called Daniel Kaluuya who I don't know that I've seen in too many other things alongside uh, his the girlfriend that he has in the film is uh, Alison Williams that you'll know from Girls she's the sort of de facto hot one in Girls I guess <laughs> um, but uh, yeah a lot to look forward to basically from where I'm coming from because I hold Jordan Peele in quite high regard and things like Keanu that those guys made together, yeah, which was made together last year was really good so yeah get out out in the next couple of weeks Good, which brings us then, I keep saying with brings us one tonight, I'm not going to do it in the next section, maybe I'll get Pete to do the link in the next section, but <laughs> right, ba 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 he once told me never to do that again, I've done it again, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that brings us to our feature reviews, and we are starting our feature reviews with Logan, directed by James Mangold. Yeah, have a stab at this one, Paul. <laughs> oh, have a stab at this one, uh, I'll slice into it, that was, anyway, Logan, directed by James Mangold. Now, as I mentioned earlier... This is strongly rumoured to be, and I'm inclined to believe them, uh, possibly the last outing, certainly for Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, we he's don't declared think, that multiple times. Well, I'm so. sure Wolverine will be back as a character, which is a shame, because I don't think after this, you know, the success of this as a film, I don't think he necessarily should be. So basically we have um, Wolverine is kind of living a broken down alcoholic life set in 2029. Um, I'll try not to drift into spoiler territory here with the plot. Is looking after... Um, 
Professor X, who's in yeah. now in, way, well into his 90s and, and not in a good state, shall we say. Um, they're in hiding after some unnamed atrocity has happened or some unnamed event, and there's not really any other mutants left. Uh, Logan, it said Logan's not in a good way in, in the yeah, slightest. It, it, it's it quite seems tragic. as if his, his powers are sort of on the wane, like he's struggling to... Of course, Wolverine's whole deal is that he's got the, the claws and he's also got the ability to regenerate or yeah. self-heal, and that seems to be failing him. And so he's... Even in the opening fight sequence that we see very, very early on in this film, he can come out victor but he suffers for yeah, what he's doing takes a more, than, more than probably you've ever seen in any of the other iterations of wolverine yeah um yes and then you're introduced to this young actress playing the sort of young female wolverine yeah um, which, which is only the trailer really and then like wolverine ends up having to look after her and, and and get away from from the villains of the piece which is boyd holbrook and richard e grant boyd holbrook uh is on awesome form actually as a villain i think uh of uh, played opposite Pedro Pascal in Narcos you may recognise him from that and I think has got a, a yeah. long career ahead of him to be honest well, and I, I thought he was Dan great, Stevens and I think they did think similar, it was Dan Stevens yeah they do look similar they're both handsome devils so, um, so that's why but a lot's, a lot's been made of a lot's been made of Logan a lot's been made of James Mangold's approach to it um I think for me, I mean, did, before I, I've kind of set it up, what, what did you think, Pete? What, did, did it work for you? Okay, well, you know, you come to me and you know this, Paul, in advance, that I, increasingly, I'm not a big sort of comic book lore guy, like, uh, particularly on screen. I find a, a lot of them quite tiring and um, and bloated and they drag and they bore me and they get to big fights at the end with lots of CGI and I'm not too engaged. Um, and I've just talked about something like 45 years and I realise how much I like that sort of human drama. However, what I think is struck in this uh, iteration of Wolverine in, in Logan is a nice balance between real human drama and then, you know, balls out superhero action. And that worked for me for the most part. I think that I think it's the best Hugh Jackman performance as Wolverine that I've seen mm. and I have seen I think all of the, the various iterations even though I'm not a huge fan um, I think Patrick Stewart is on good form here he has Patrick some really on superb form. funny so lines kind of, he seemed to be so enjoying Tanker himself there's a grumpy Professor X yeah which and is, also you know, we've seen Patrick Stewart really stretch his range in stuff recently like like Green Room for yeah. example where yeah. he's terrifying but here he seems to be having a really good time the chemistry between those two is great um, the fight sequence in, is uh, fight sequences, excuse me, in, in this film rival, in my opinion, anyway, some of the the great stuff that we saw in John Wick Chapter Two recently. In terms mm. of just like that hyperkinetic, you know, not too many cuts, not too much of a shaky camera, lot of kind of ultra violence played in quite of a, a balletic sort of way. So for the most part, it worked for me. I, I like this one a, quite a bit. I wouldn't say it's going to trouble my top ten of the year list, but really enjoyed it I mean you are on side with that I think yeah I think I think I possibly liked it a bit more than you did um, I really like how it, how it feels I think the reason superhero films like this work is because fundamentally I don't think uh, Logan is really a superhero film mm. I mean a lot's been made of how much it feels like a western mm. and it really does feel like a western it's kind of kind of one man against the odds and you know like a, a guy who's coming like a, a sort of an outlaw finding redemption for his previous sins and looking after the girl and that kind of thing so it, it does work on that level. I think the other thing that really works for it is 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 a fifteen. Um, I'm surprised it managed to get away with being a fifteen because it is it's brutally violent, um, brutally violent. And I would I would warn people for squeamish people that it's and I th but I think that the violence works for it. The you actually see how angry 
um, Wolverine is or how angry Logan is. And actually, of all the Marvel, of all the Marvel superheroes, um, I'm not saying I'm an aficionado by any stretch. Of all the Marvel superheroes, uh, Wolverine is the com is probably the comic I've read the most, mm. and I think this certainly is is the closest it's come to to actually nailing the character on screen. Um, and I, I again, I like you. I, I like the slightly more downbeat ending. Although I think the the set piece with Professor X about halfway through without ruining anything is absolutely fantastic. Where everything slows down, yeah. Wolverine's clawing people in the head. Like everyone gets clawed in the head. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we should mention when, cool, but... when when you you know it seems an appropriate point to say, Paul, that um, this is a hard fifteen certificate film. I did so, yeah, right, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you can't really underline that enough. I mean, it seems as I said, I'm surprised it's not an eighteen. Quite surprising, yeah, yeah. That, that it didn't get an eighteen certificate. And you mentioned also about the Western thing. I think it's true, and I've just checked this detail because I was interested. The film that the characters watch, particularly the young Wolverine, female yes. young Wolverine watches in the in the film, is is Shane. Uh, the yeah. classic western Shane about uh, an aging gunfighter who is trying to sort of go civilised and exist back yeah, in the world which is yeah. a great parallel yeah. with what's actually happening on screen so yeah it's smartly put together put together with some craft I mean that's all I can really ask for from this kind of thing is to, to strive for better and to not just be happy with saying oh there's X amount of fan service because that phrase yeah. is and killing me it does and, a, and you know and I, I'm happy to, this time I'm intentionally and happy to repeat myself why it works is because it does doesn't feel like a superhero film mm. that's why it works and i think it's it's a it's a raging brutal success and uh, more power to the team behind it and i very much look forward to the black and white cut that is supposed to be coming out and sorry last thing on on logan paul is there because i said coming out of this and i don't really know and i haven't read up on it but i would imagine they're just going to reboot this like they do everything else i'd be very surprised if if that's the, the, if this is the last we see of wolverine on the screen right because he's clearly yeah. a popular character yeah. and hugh jackman's done such a good job of, of portraying him by and large but it feels like yeah we're going to get a younger version of wolverine yeah, on I screen think, within about three will, years yeah. right yeah what's so, next <laughs> a big, a big <laughs> sort of departure yet uh, next i guess paul but i will find a way to tenuously link the two together um, the next is, uh, as mentioned earlier, Tony Erdman. This one we caught up with and we sort of previewed the fact that we would on, on last week's show. We caught up with it at the only screening that was released uh, by Cineworld Nationwide. Uh, well, in, in Cheltenham anyway. I think no, no, it was it. Nationwide. Cineworld Chain, Nationwide, one screening. Okay. One. Yeah, other other chains may have done something different. Maybe they've had it out a little more. Major cities, London, Manchester, might show okay. it a few more times. Yeah. But very limited over here in terms of cinematic release. Tony Erdman. Um, this one had... I, I had heard so much about it around award season because film critics who'd been to all the festivals and things like that had seen it months and months ago. I mean, the hype, for the hype for this film is insane. It is, yeah, and it was. Um, this one stars the uh, actress Sandra Huller playing the daughter of uh, the actor Peter Simon Simonishek? Simonishek. We're going to go with that. Simonishek. We'll go with that, yeah. You're Simon. normally better. I'm not going to try it. You know you're gotcha. better at names than me. So. Uh, yeah, and the, the director is Maren Ade. Now, the setup here, Paul, have a go. What what, what have we got in the case? Okay, of, so, of we have, Who we have a, so we have um, the, 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 leading, the leading lady plays um, a very career-driven, very career-driven... Um, I'd say probably woman in her mid to late thirties. Would you say that's yeah, fair? Yeah, yeah, she's in her um, late thirties. So 30s, very yeah. career driven. Probably works far too much. Um, goes home to see her father, who's I would say the completely opposite character. They don't get to spend time much, so much time together because she's working all the time, picking up phone and the laptop and the emails and that kind of thing. Um, and then he decides to take a month off and just I think unannouncedly turn up and visit her. 
um, and she makes absolutely no time to see him at all, um, which I suppose is kind of understandable in a way. And it, it, the visit doesn't go very well, and he, he seems quite disheartened. Um, and what happens next is, is where the film tread, does step into bizarre territory. So she is then out drinking in a bar with her friends. Uh, a man turns around that's quite obviously her father in a wig, uh, introduces himself as the titular Tony Erdman, uh, and purports to be a, a life coach or business coach, mm. uh, working one of one of their biggest clients. Uh, and he then kind of then proceeds to integrate himself into her business life with, in fairness, in a very, very funny way. Yes. Well, was that a good setup? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think that you, you touched on main important things there, Paul. The the role he seems to take on, yes, as you said, his life coach was sort of her boss. Yeah. But you're never told, and it never seems particularly important how he <laughs> no, manages to do no, that. He just no, sort of, he just appears, he just sort of sidles on. his way in. And there's weird teeth that he wears, which is amazing. Yeah, but, he's, yeah. he's got this weird balance between sort of um, a, a kind of slightly unsettling charisma. And then just a, a sort of pushy nature that imagine, allows him to get into situations where he has no right to exist. And from this point, um, yes, as you mentioned, he, he's trying to kind of, in every way that he can, insert himself into his daughter's life, even when she makes it very apparent that she wants him to leave her the hell alone. Yes. Um, the themes at work here, because I think if we get too bogged down in the plot, we'll lose our way and we'll spoil certain moments of it because it, I would say it's it's, it's to be one honest, of a it's, kind it's probably best to go in knowing probably even, even less than I've said to be perfectly honest yeah um, so, so forget everything you've just heard yeah just ignore that yeah. and never listen to us again <laughs> yeah. no um, but I think thematically it's very interesting this film because it could just be this kind of goofy tongue in cheek slapstick comedy in which a guy goofs off because he's getting old I think it's a, quite a lot more than that I think that you've got this character who is trying to imbue his daughter with the sense that having fun and laughing and doing things, uh, what does he keep saying, like being impromptu or spontaneous, yeah, yeah, he spontaneous, keeps making this yeah, point, right? yeah. uh, doing those things it enriches your life and it's an important part of the human experience. Whereas we aren't, it isn't one way because we've also got this situation where you can see that Tony Erdman is, well, Tony Erdman and the father that he is before he becomes his alter ego, is actually struggling. He seems to have a heart condition. He's socially making some horrible blunders. Yeah. He's not always as confident as he makes out. He's actually quite socially awkward and he seems quite lonely and he seems quite lost. So you've got this really interesting dynamic where on the one hand you feel like she needs to learn from him and mm. on the other hand, he needs to learn from her and you just hope that at some point they have a big hug. I yeah. mean, that's what I got out of, out of Tony Erdman, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought the, the whole film was, was fantastic, to be perfectly honest. And as I said, you know, it's, it's an absurdist comedy. So there are, and I'm, I won't spoil, I really want to talk about certain scenes, but I'm not going to because you have, they have to be seen to be believed. Um, and they're great. It's so heartwarming. I said it's, it's genuinely funny. People in the past, quite often there's a stereotype of Germans that Germans can't be funny wrong uh, <laughs> simple as that um yes it's bizarre um yes it's probably yes it's because it's subtitled and because of the nature of the film you might have to be in the mood to sit down and watch it uh but but please do please make the effort to watch it and certainly make the effort to watch it before the sure to be sanitized hollywood remake appears yeah i can't see how hollywood are going to be able to handle that no. in the same way the and, germans have handled it and on that same point um and i said this coming out of the, of the screening that we saw 
Sandra Huller in this, who plays the central he's amazing. female character, is, is unbelievably yeah. good. Yeah, when we've had this award season and, you know, great performances, great lead female actress performances, and I'm not taking anything away from any of those people nominated for mm. Golden Globes and Academy Awards and all those things, but when you see the range of this performance that spans fully, what, two hours, 45 minutes, yeah. and she goes everywhere from sort of vulnerable to uh, completely emotionally broken to uh, goofy to scared. Like, there's so much that she does with such a plum that I can't believe she's an actress that, that we've not really been aware of to this point. No. And I've looked back through her filmography and it seems like she's never really had the breakout, at least to a wider audience, that it seems like her talent deserves. So hopefully going on a, a bigger name director will pick her up and, and we'll get to see more interesting stuff from Sandra Huller but yeah Tony Erdman find it wherever you can and however you can because this was I think as I said earlier on really a one-of-a-kind experience I would say yeah and I think it's you know and thank you genuinely thank you to Cineworld for actually putting it on I know these films aren't you know always commercially bankable but it was nice to get a chance to see it at the cinema um, so, so genuinely, Senior World, thank you for you know even putting it on a, a, even yeah. once. Yeah, yeah, Paul, and it and it ties sort of back with the beginning of the show. Where we're talking about the Oscars because I think you know for better or worse, the Oscars are the reason that this got a screening because yeah. of its nomination. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we should be thankful for that at least. So that brings us out of features and into our credit section. Paul, we're almost at the end of the show, but before we finish for this week, what would you like to give credit to? It's only a, a brief credit section this week, um, and I noticed that when I was looking at, at what's coming up at the cinema, I noticed that a number of um, classic films are getting some screenings again, and I've completely, I've gone, my mind's gone completely. Star Trek <laughs> Two: The Wrath of Khan apparently is getting a screening. Yeah. Whether it comes to the channel or not, I don't know. So I just want to pay a brief credit to. And please stop showing Blade Runner all the time because it always seems to be Blade Runner that they bring back about once every six months, which is great to see Blade Runner on the cinema screen again. Mm. But there's many other cinema, there's many other releases that need to be shown again. I think about six, seven months ago, I got to see Aliens on the big screen for the very first time because I'm in my 30s. So obviously when Aliens first came out, I didn't get a chance to see it at the cinema. So I want to pay credit to cinemas showing classic big budget movies on the big screen because it's awesome to get to see these if, films if at the I cinema. can pin you down then Paul on your uh, credits for this week what if you had to, to pick one what would be your your best or favourite experience that you've had in watching is, is it Aliens do you think in terms I think of uh, so far I mean Blade, Blade Runner was good I think Aliens because I you know I, I love Aliens I do um but to see that on the big screen with the mute, with the score and everything like that, I'm, I'm gutted I didn't get to see it with a live orchestra accompaniment, although we've, we've talked about it on earlier shows. Uh, but to even just to see it in the cinema was fantastic. Mm. Uh, I missed the chance to see the Ghost in the Shell anime on the big screen, but they, they did show that again. So I'd love to see Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Please, Cineworld, if you're listening, bring it to Cheltenham. That would that would be great. But anything, really, any, you know, anything I haven't seen. Did you seen. go to the screening not long ago? We had Jaws. A couple of years ago, we had yes, Jaws on the big screen. Yeah, that Jaws, was the first yeah. time for me yeah. on that one. So, um, and the th they showed The Thing and yes. you know, films like that. So I that's was into, great. into this ring, um, I saw Suspiria on the big screen. Oh, that was a, a jealous. Treat, but that wasn't here, so it doesn't really count. I'm jealous on that one. Um, for mine this week, now I'm sorry, because I've promised Paul that after I do this credit, I will not talk about this subject for at least like, uh, I don't know, three or four shows uh, until the next time I have an excuse. But my credit for this week goes to the actress and singer and performer Janelle Monet. Um, the reason is because... <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't done a credit on Janelle Monet. I've just talked about her in terms of the Hidden Figures of Moonlight. But um, yes, this is a, a performer, a singer who has made two feature films and they were both nominated for Academy Awards and one of them won Best Picture. Not a bad start to a film career. Um, yeah, she, I mean, what can I say that I haven't said before? She is a shining light in both of those films. 
she is a, a very very talented and interesting performer she has a lot to say she's very articulate and um, at the Oscars I think she uh, wore probably the best dress that uh, dress is insane yeah in incredible <laughs> and I just think she's got kind of this this, this um, I, I don't want to say X Factor I hate myself natural charisma but yeah she has a natural charisma <laughs> that is is almost unequaled at this point I think in, in sort of popular culture and I think that she can exist on a plane that's occupied by only a few special people in a few years time so I look forward to it, I, you know I've looked up her credits again Paul and it seems according to the IMDB like she is not fully attached to any I think she will be I think coming based out. She, on those two performances she will be before will be, yeah. I know that her next album drops I think this year so okay. maybe that it, she, she's doing like a right. whole touring schedule before she gets back into yeah. acting but let's hope we have more of her on screen I think yeah I'll get off you know doing credits on actresses soon because I did Kristen Stewart before but Janelle Monet is going to do huge things um, the last time I backed an actress I remember Paul going back like like two years was Carrie Coon since then yeah. she's done nothing so, so hopefully you're not there yeah. watch this space <laughs> On uh, Janelle Monet, not the touch of death on, on careers, but you know what? I will co-sign on Janelle Monet. Yes. Still your, still your little word there. Um, right. So that brings us to the end of episode thirty-three. I think, Paul, unless you've got any final words, final. I um, I feel spent. <laughs> that, that's not a line from a film, kids. Oh, we should say by the way that we didn't really round off the the two lines that we had before. Two episodes ago, in episode thirty-one, Paul read the line. What film were you reading from, Paul, at the end of the show? I was reading from the film Buckaroo Banzai and the Adventures I, I of say the reading. Eighth Dimension. I say yes, reading. reading I, I should do you more from. credit. You, yeah. you were bringing that thing to life. I was, yes. With your performance. Yes. And then uh, last time I've round, got one for this week as well. So Right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, last time round, I did a line from Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch film. I'm sure a lot of you recognise that one. It was a bit easier than the one the week before. For this week, though, um, I should just say, do you want me to do to do contact information? Let's do contact information. And let's close on a on a poignant quote. I think so. We'll go out on a, on a quote again, and then get at us if you know what Paul has quoted. It's but before that, this week, uh, yeah, hit us up on Facebook. Facebook Strangers in the Cinema. Of course, we're always available through Twitter. That's at Strangers Cinema. Uh, the email strangersincinema at gmail dot com. Uh, other than that, we're on. Instagram letterboxed and Instagram and stuff we've talked about this before go back to those episodes if you get those contact details you can find them all through the Facebook and stuff anyway so it's cool uh, Paul sign us off for today if you build it they will come <laughs> <laughs>